today's podcast, we'll take a look at last night's NBA games, including the game winner for Embiid, an amazing Embiid stat on these last second shots uh, from distance. Not necessarily at the end of the game. Uh, we're going to talk with Kevin Clark about the NFL draft, a couple concepts, Debo Samuel stuff. But more importantly, we're going abroad again with Kevin, the host of his own F1 Ringer show here for Ringer and Life Advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter-player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm going to start today's podcast with an open on last night's playoff games. I'm not going to recap every single game from the last time that we spoke with you. Uh, we will have Sunday's pod with Bill. It's going to cover a ton of stuff. So I'm going to hit up Philly's last second shot from Embiid. It was ridiculous. The Bulls getting even with Milwaukee, where you're like, wait, what's going to happen in that series, especially with the injury stuff? But I want to start in Boston. Celts up 2-0 on the Nets. We know how great game one was. But game two was different. Uh, and a lot of these games, like they don't play out the exact same way all the time. I always feel like we do collectively a bad job on some of the playoff results. Where we'll see a result very early in game one. We're like, oh, well, they can't play with them. Or, you know, another team's up 2-0. We just seem to forget. Like, you know, a lot of these series, they do actually go more than just four games. So, uh, Boston, what they did defensively in that second half against the Nets was all-time stuff. Let's recap a little bit of what we had. In the first half, Dragic and Bruce Brown combined for 30 points in the first. So the defensive attention is on Kyrie, who he wasn't nearly as good uh, in game two as he was game one, where he was incredible. Um, Durant didn't shoot it well, but you're like, okay, so what they're doing concept-wise defensively for Boston is they want to make sure they're focused on the better players, right? We see this a lot. This is not new. This is not groundbreaking stuff, but then Dragic and Brown let you up for 30. You're going, okay, is this going to work? At one point, Boston was down 14 points, 53-39, and at the half, the Nets were up 10, 65-55, right? So, and by the way, the Nets were out-rebounding them, so there was just all sorts of stuff as you're watching this thing play out, going, all right, Tatum's not shooting that well, the secondary guys for the Nets are killing the game plan, and the Nets are out-rebounding. However, in the second half, what the Celtics did defensively, and really even more so in the fourth quarter, was all-time stuff. That extra gear that you have. Because as I've done with NFL segments in the past, like that whole open I did on things being hard, the reason you go back to your sideline after going three and out three times, going, hey, keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. We've got a chance. 
you know, all the NFL games that you watch on Sundays where you're like, ah, this team's so much better than that team. Next thing you know, they've got the ball with a chance to actually score down four because of a turnover here and there. Because that's the whole point of sports. You keep fighting. This stuff isn't going to be easy. And going up against a team like Brooklyn for Boston is not going to be easy, especially when you feel like, or maybe they felt like you stole one from them at the end of game one with the last second Tatum shot. So Boston has this defense that allows them to probably, no matter what the situation now, despite this group not having, uh, you could call it the Eastern Conference Finals in the past, but you understand the point of like how much playoff success have you had. Where those teams that have had bunches of years where they've had nice runs, maybe even a title sprinkled in there somewhere, there's this default position of confidence that you're going to have as a team, as an athlete. We're like, all right, we're, we're okay here. And Boston showed that with not really having the same profile as some of these other more accomplished teams in the past because they know with their defense they have a chance. What the, Look, the Nets took 15 long twos in the second half. They were one for 15 on those. The Nets shot chart in the fourth quarter, five total shots in the paint, 14 outside of the paint. I'd say 10 of those were long twos. And when you watch Durant and Kyrie, they're not going to run as much stuff because they're so gifted as isolation players. They're going to maybe use the screen. They're going to turn down the screens at time. Um, and that's why they're so good. Like, we understand how special these players are. But when you're going to be easier to defend by just what you're doing and then Boston thrown against that group of pit bulls who are all looking at you, where five eyes are on the ball as as you're also keeping track of who you're defending. And you could just see it, these moments where Durant's faced up, Tatum's on him, two are kind of shaded off their man towards him. And it's like, man, you got to move the basketball. You have to figure out ways to get around this stuff. And the Nets just totally... Locked up. Durant was 0 for 10 in the second half. It's the only time in a game, regular season or playoffs, he's ever taken that many shots in a half and not made a shot. Most ever in his entire career. Tatum's defense continues. His primary assignment on Durant continues to be incredible. He blocked a shot and was almost like, ah, it was kind of lucky. It's like he didn't even want to say anything. Um, Durant ended up with a ton of points, but he was 4 of 17 from the floor. Tatum didn't shoot it well either. Uh, Durant took 20 free throws. That's why the final overall number looks okay. It's almost like Boston's going to go, we're going to beat on Durant so much in this series that even if he takes a ton of free throws, it takes them out of their rhythm. It reminds me of something that Durant said in that sort of revenge game where Ben Simmons showed up with Brooklyn but didn't play. Um, it was Drummond against Embiid. The Nets won that game. And then Durant said, even though they were beating us early on, I felt like them taking a lot of free throws took them out of their offense. It's something that I paid attention to since Durant said it because I think it's really smart. And maybe if you're taking a million free throws, everybody else just kind of stops doing what you're doing. It's almost like isolation basketball, but it's at the free throw line. Uh, the other part of this too, Kyrie just, I don't know if it was good. I don't know if it's fair to say it's because of everything he's dealing with Ramadan. I don't know that it's fair to make that the only excuse as well. Sometimes really great players have bad basketball games. He was a no-show for the entire thing. So we could talk about the Celtics having seven guys in double figures. We could talk about Peyton Pritchard having eight points, I think, in the fourth quarter. I mean, he's incredible. Yeah, he did have eight points in the fourth quarter. But this Celtics defense, the Nets scored two points, not from the floor, two total points overall from 11.38 left in the fourth quarter to 3.46 left. Domination defensively by the Celtics. Let's take a look at the 76ers, now up 3-0 with their overtime win at Toronto. Embiid, 7-10 in the regular season at Toronto. Expand that out to the playoffs prior to last night. He was 8-13. He was terrible in the first half. Get five points, two free throw attempts, four turnovers. And something can happen to this Philadelphia offense if the free throws just aren't there for him that night. Same thing with Harden. He wasn't taking a ton. Um, 
Drake apparently said to one of Embiid's teammates, he can't play here. Drake said that. He said, he can't play here. Well, um, Embiid had 18 points in the third quarter. He gets the win. There was something that happened on that last second shot that was really, really interesting. They ran something where Embiid was catching it almost from the left elbow extended. He had Precious, who you know how much I like Precious. Achua defending him, and Embiid waited, and he got the ball knocked out of his hands. They're like, oh, here's here's the part of the Embiid argument that you know is a fair one. And Sixers fans are like, ah, oh, this happened. You know, he just waited. Harden had fouled out. Um, Harden had, had really you know, late in that game. I wasn't quite sure what the plan was, but there's so much attention to Harden and Embiid that like Maxi and even Tobias are going to have moments. So there are some some options here for Philadelphia offensively. I mean, when you think of those four guys, that's that's really good. Um, but Embiid gets the ball knocked away, tracks it down, and then is about to throw a one-handed bomb <laughs> that's not going to go in, and Doc Rivers gets the timeout. So on the timeout, they run a play where I think it was supposed to be for Maxi. Um, I was reading the Athletic. I think it was Rich Hoffman who had this, where it was basically a lob that they tried in Minnesota at the rim that didn't work in Minnesota. And in this case, there's a screen set for Embiid that worked. Achua said it was like the best screen ever. I don't know it was the best screen ever, but he got pushed off the ball. But then on top of that, there's no one guarding the inbounds, which everybody caught on to last night. And then Van Vliet's actually on the floor. Uh, and Van Vliet's left. And he saw the screen and was like, oh, no, Embiid's free. And he's going to get a free catch. Now you have Van Vliet closing out on Joel Embiid. But it's still an insane shot for anyone to make. But apparently, this is not that abnormal for Embiid. Think about this number. Embiid is now 22 of 52 from 25 feet or more with less than four seconds. That's one of the most impressive numbers for a guy like Embiid. I I would have been like, what is it, six for 50? He's 22 of 52. Um, So there you go. And the Drake thing, you know, whatever. Then he's out there walking through the tunnel with Embiid hanging out with his buddy after the fact. I mean, we kind of get the Drake part of it. Tunes are great, though, right? Um, Embiid, in that Toronto series back in 2019, he had some bad games by the standards of what we would think for Embiid. Remember, Jimmy Butler's still on the team, too, though. But it's 16 points, 12 points, 11 points, 13 points, 17 points. That's five of the seven games. Those are his point totals. And after Kawhi hits that shot, and they show him beat emotional. I never like people can clown on you and shit. That meant everything to me. I'm like, this is great. I love that he cares as much. I love that it matters as much. So for him to go up to Toronto, a place he hasn't won a ton of games, where his playoff history wasn't terrific in that series and again in a really tough game seven loss, to see him get the game winner after one of the worst first halves he had all season long, it was incredible. I'll leave out the rest of the social media debates after the fact with Embiid. Final one. Bulls even the series at Milwaukee, one apiece. DeRosa goes for 41. Giannis with his pedestrian 33, 18, and 9. Uh, Milwaukee, look at this, this series of numbers here. Milwaukee won the rebounding battle. They took 16 more free throws. They didn't miss 11. They shot 46 and 39% from the floor in three, and they still lost to a Bulls team 
that let's not kid ourselves, as we've talked about for months now on this podcast, they just haven't been very good. Now you can say, well, they got Patrick Williams back. Oh, they got Alex Caruso back. There is a part of me, yes, defensively with Milwaukee, who it was basically, um, it was a part of their profile where we just kind of collectively overlooked it. And like, you know, maybe they're just sort of coasting. We've talked about this before, but Milwaukee did not play defense statistically to the standard that we'd expect of them. That hasn't really been the case in this series because uh, it's not the slowest pace series. That's been Philly and Toronto. But this isn't this isn't something where Chicago all of a sudden is lighting up a defense that that now all of a sudden we have to be warned about, right? And the, the whole point that I'm trying to make with this is like, what if Milwaukee is getting torched in a first-round series against a Chicago team that the last month or so of the NBA season was one of the worst five or six offenses in the NBA? So that would be a real thing, but that's not really how these numbers are playing out. I think there's a couple things that are happening. We're being reminded that you know, DeRozan can go off at any point. Levine could also do this as well. Vooch is keeping you honest defense or offensively, even if you're worried about it defensively. But Caruso adds an element of all these different plays where even two of the biggest plays last night, um, it looks like the Bulls are going to blow this one. Uh, it went from an 18-point lead to a three-point lead. But then Chicago responds to start the fourth quarter with a 9-0 run, bunch of turnovers from the Bucs again. They've done a bad job of taking care of the basketball. But then now it's 112-109. So the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just kind of expecting the Bucs to win this game and figure it out because I think they are a much better basketball team. Reminder, though, Portis had left the game in the first quarter. Middleton left with an MCL thing that I'm going to get to here in the fourth quarter. So he had played a bunch of minutes. Caruso was locking him up at different times. but. Caruso's just impact of a guy that's out there. It's it's almost like, uh, you know, I like those little rubber balls when you were a kid. And if you just had one and you just, just chucked it, you had no idea it was, but it was going to impact stuff. Stuff was going to happen. <laughs> and I would say with a rubber ball, it's not always positive for everybody that's involved. But for Caruso, when he is out there, he has that kind of impact that like, all right, he's out there. And now everybody else is going to have to deal with the stuff, but it always seems to be positive for the team that he's playing on. And as the Bulls are up 112-109, still time left, shot clock still on, DeRozan misses a shot, Caruso gets the offensive rebound, they ended up with another offensive rebound, which is a weird play there because Connaughton went to foul DeRozan where DeRozan made the layup that basically put the game away, and then Connaughton looked at the official. That was a mistake by Connaughton because the shot clock still was on because it only reset to 14. I think there was 23 left in the game clock, and then Connaughton goes to foul, probably should have gotten the call, looked at the ref, how come you give me the call? And it's like, well, the ref's like, you don't actually want that foul there. Uh, none of that mattered. It didn't mean anything. All right, final thing here on the open. We're already, we're not, we're not halfway through most of the series here, and we're already in the injury situation. Before every playoff series starts, not series, but season starts, I'll go, look, three guys are going to get hurt that are significant people. They're going to probably change this. The favorite may still win, but it's going to change their path, whether easier or now more challenging. And between the Devin Booker hamstring thing, where now they're even uh, with the Pelicans, the Middleton deal with an MCL where you don't know. Somebody can land wrong. It can look terrible in their back immediately. I mean, Giannis, we, at one point last year, like, oh, there go the Bucs. Like, nope, he's superhuman. He's back. Uh, and the Luka lingering calf thing, although I do expect him to play in this series against Utah, that's three major components. Um, Booker, who's going to probably finish top five in MVP. Luka is going to finish top five in MVP. Luka probably doesn't have to go super fast, but... I mean, we're off to a bad start already, which means odds are there's probably one more big injury lingering that's going to change a team's complete outcome. 
The playoffs are here, and you can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. FanDuel is hooking you up with free bets throughout the playoffs. It doesn't matter if you're a new customer already have an account. Just be sure to check out the app for exclusive weekly same-game parlay promos. So we gave you the under in Memphis, Minnesota this week at 240, and it was way under. Um, it's still... Right now, two games in the fastest pace of any of the playoff series, but the total's 238 again. So I feel like it's a little tempting on that one. Minnesota's a home dog on this one, plus two. But one of the things that we were looking at is the to score 25 or more points. So, like Jaw on that, it's minus 330. So that doesn't make a ton of sense value wise for you. The Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain numbers, and D'Angelo Russell are all. Big payouts, plus 340, plus 340 on the two guys from Memphis, and plus 470 to score 25 points or more for D'Angelo. And when you look at his history uh, against Memphis, it's actually really good over the regular season. So I think the D'Angelo Russell option should be in there. Some of the other bets, I don't like the wire-to-wire odds uh, on this, but I think the value and the 25 or more points, specifically D'Angelo Russell at plus 470, jumps out. So there you go. FanDuel has so many ways to play, and best of all, when you win, you get paid faster than a fast break. New to FanDuel? Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N. Once again, that's promo code RYAN, and if you already have an account, you're all set to get in on the action. Either way, you'll get an assist from FanDuel when you bet a same-game parlay during the playoffs. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA, must be 21 and older in select states. Refund issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet, $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, PA, Virginia, or 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. Michigan, one 877 Hope, New York, or text Hope, New York, 467-369, New York, Tennessee, Redline, 1-800-889-9789, Tennessee, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, West Virginia. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it's been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Kevin Clark from The Ringer. Talk some NFL. I don't know. I, I almost feel like 
Would people rather hear us talk F1 before the NFL draft? Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not for 60% they still of the like interview. Football. Um, no, they still like football. So yesterday was a big day. Debo Samuel was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm zagging on this. He's a really nice player. He's a tough guy. They did some stuff. They're creative. You and I both agree. I can't wait to see 10 other teams try the same stuff. He's like, why yep. don't we have a wide receiver catch a pitch? <laughs> you know, the Wildcat is is was fun, but also sort of embarrassing for the league at the same time because you just knew people were like, holy shit, should we be doing that? <laughs> You're like, yes, the owners. So I like Debo, but I don't know if I like him that much. And so this this whole thing is, is kind of predictable. Um, your thoughts? Okay. I got a lot of thoughts because I've never seen a bigger disconnect in my entire life than what people inside the league are saying about the wide receiver market. Because, and this is big picture. Let's pull back here for a second before we get into Debo in particular. Um, the two biggest trends right now are that number one, every GM thinks there's going to at some point be a bubble burst because there are too many good wide receivers who are becoming available either in the draft or once a month via trade or whatever. The second trend is that Every time a wide receiver takes the team name out of his bio, he makes $20 million like a month later. <laughs> it's really, is there a guy, Ryan, right now who's like a fourth receiver who took the team name out of his bio who's like, ah, nobody's really noticed this sucks? Yeah, Chris Hogan just like out there going <laughs> double I emojis. Just nobody's noticed. Um, okay, so I think Debo is an incredible player. I think his ability to break tackles is special. He's been doing that since he was a rookie. I, I was in San Francisco to do George Kittle piece a few years ago during the Super Bowl season. And the whole thing was about Kittle breaking tackles. And there were people inside that building, inside the league, who were like, dude, Kittle's amazing, but like, look at Debo Samuel. He might be one of the best, from a receiving standpoint, might be one of the best uh, tackle breakers that they've ever seen. He was doing it at South Carolina. He'll continue to do it. It made sense what Kyle Shanahan was doing with him last year. 80 snaps in the backfield, second most in the NFL for a wide receiver last year. Um, I think that the the backfield stuff has been overstated as far as uh, what, what that brings to his value. If you just played him a wide receiver and let him be a one-man wrecking crew, he'd still be really good and probably worth a lot of money, worth over $20 million. Uh, having said that, Mike Renner did a, a study based on his rushing efficiency and said if he had Jonathan Taylor's workload the Debo Samuel would have had 2,100 yards, 43 touchdowns, and 111 broken tackles. Okay? That was the pace he was on last year if he, if he had Jonathan Taylor's workload. So he can do everything. I think, kind of what we were joking about a second ago, every team said, who's going to be our Debo Samuel? And if, he, if, if Debo Samuel is actually available, there's going to be a huge market for that. Okay, look, let me just say this. I like Debo, all right? And going back to school, you're like, this guy was just one of those dudes on a Saturday where it's like once he got the ball in his hands, you weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Uh, based on the projections of what he would be, this reminds me a lot of a limited minutes front court player rebounding rate where yeah. I would see some of these efficiency numbers for certain players and a lot of it would be juiced up because the rebounding rate was absurd. And it's like, you know what? Your rebounding rate is it's usually hard to keep up when you're actually playing full time. So the Debo projections are cool, but if you actually had the Jonathan Taylor workload, I don't know how that would be sustainable the same way when a guy has an absurd rebounding rate playing 12 minutes a night sure. and projecting that out playing 36. I just I don't think it's the same thing. And I think it's a bigger picture thing with this trickle-down effect that we've now seen for the last couple of years. It feels almost just like two years with the NFL quarterbacks 
perhaps mirroring what we've seen in the NBA, which is what where this is all going, you know, more personal freedom, more demands on the employer. I, I mean, this is just kind of what we're in right now. It, it, it's it's not even just sports. But when you're a wide receiver doing it, you know, I don't I don't know that it's the same impact. Like if you get Debo and you're a six and 12 team, now what? And right. I, and I think that we all know that. And that's the rule for any almost every non quarterback position. I agree, but I also say that wide receiver is an interesting spot because kind of as I alluded to a second ago, the the GMs are saying at some point it's going to become not financially, but sort of akin to the running back position where you say, I'm not going to pay $28 million to this guy because I, mean, I, I think the ideal here for every front office is the Stefan Diggs trade where you trade Diggs away, you get Justin Jefferson that same first round, right? Um, some that hasn't worked out for everybody. Um, has that didn't you know? I, there are teams that have tried that strategy and failed, but you know, there are teams like the Eagles who had to take multiple swings before they got a wide receiver. It's not like you can just plug and play anybody. But the same is true of running back. Um, but I don't think that teams are comfortable with just one wide receiver. I talked to Dominic Foxworth about this yesterday, actually, where he was saying the problem is not that. Uh, you can't find a wide receiver in any first round. You can't. There's so many wide receivers. This is the golden age of wide receivers. It's that you need three of them. That's just how modern football works. And so to get a Debo Samuel, sure, but what else do you have? Um, you can't just play a two-man game with Debo Samuel. Like, that's the concern from a team-building standpoint. Having said that, I mean, it's a totally different conversation. Debo has, has never made big money in his career. If he wants to go to the Jets, let him. Um, you know, he will, he'll probably not reset the market. Uh, he's not going to get anywhere probably close to the 30 or $28 million that, that have been go- going to Tyreek Hill and, and Devonta Adams He's probably in the 25 range. Um, but I think there are teams that are going to take that risk because of all of the things that he can do. And the, the, now we're doing this whole thing about how it's not about money. It's about usage. I'm not really sure what that means exactly. He doesn't want to be a running back. He doesn't want to get those kind of carries. I, I, I guess I understand, um, that, that logic. Uh, but I think that this is, this is, is a money thing, and I think there's going to be plenty of teams that are going to line up to give him twenty five million dollars a year. Yeah, maybe uh, you know that that still seems, and I'm all for all these guys trying to figure out a way to get paid because I've I've always felt like if these guys, if there was no franchise tag and we got to real true free market, there would be way more guaranteed money. And if Deshaun Watson get a fully guaranteed thing, which I'm sure. And by the way, how much has that pissed off other owners now realizing yeah. like, wait. Like Kirk Cousins, three years guaranteed, pissed people off. But now it's Deshaun, every single dollar is guaranteed. But it also proves, like, I've always felt this way. We've been conditioned for years younger, whether it was his kids watching it or our our parents be like, oh, it can't be guaranteed because of all the injuries. You just do it. The numbers would be done differently. The contracts would be worked differently. But there's no reason why the top guys wouldn't get guaranteed money in a more open, competitive market for free agents. So I'm all for these guys getting all that stuff. I just wonder what... The Deshaun one has had ripple effects where I imagine some owners are like, you have to be fucking kidding me because now I'm going to have to guarantee every dollar from my QB. Okay, but let's play devil's advocate here. That was the same discussion was happening with Kirk Cousins and nobody really followed through on that. Um, there, there was four years without another guarant- fully guaranteed significant quarterback contract. It's funny because J.C. Treader, who's the head of the union, came out a couple of days ago and said, hey, uh, there's there, guaranteed contracts are not in any CBA. That that's just the yeah. way the players. You know what? I thought that out. Well, no, those, but, those, no. I, I, those guys love saying that though. Yeah, and but it's Eric, like, okay. no, Eric Winston said the same thing to me after the Kirk Cousins deal. That's what I was going to say. The more keep said having it to the me. same. The, right. Yeah, it's the same debate over and over and over again that a player needs to go out and get that guaranteed contract. Well, 
the players have shown, whether that's Aaron Rodgers, whether that's Russell Wilson. Remember, Russell Wilson hired a baseball agent and still has it because they were going to do a different contract. They were going to they were going to reset how the NFL views contracts. And then Russell Wilson signed his contract. And guess what it was? It was a normal quarterback NFL contract that paid a boatload of money, but wasn't fully guaranteed. There's something broken when Deshaun Watson emerges from a grand jury proceeding and has the most leverage in the history of football, considering what he got from the contract, considering uh, the no trade clause that basically allowed him to pick his destination between what ended up being about five teams. And, and also the fact that, that Cleveland, in their desperation, guaranteed that money. That's, you know, the report was that Carolina didn't want to do that. So I think there were owners who were rolling their eyes at that. I don't think that owners are necessarily nervous about the Watson contract trickling down. I mean, Peter King had that report a couple of days ago. He, he think it, thinks within a few years there's going to be a $100 million quarterback um, a year. That, that seems likely at this point. Um, I don't think owners... I think owners just understand the cost of having an elite quarterback. And I don't think the Watson thing really scared them all that much as far as guarantees. I don't think the Cousins is a good example, though, because I think the Cousins thing, they were, they had such shitty cap numbers in the back end that he had leverage against his own team. So the first guarantee was the, the what started the first Minnesota deal, I believe, was was three years, like almost 90 guarantee. 80, 84, yeah. 84. All right. So I'm, I just think the structure of it is is different than Kirk's. Maybe you're right. You know, but it's it's going to be on the quarterback. But there's just a little bit less leverage in the in the NFL, and I'm I'm glad you brought up that I, the NFL well, and the players association love yeah. to talk about. Well, in baseball, it doesn't say it has to be guaranteed. You're like, yeah, but they all are. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except for that part. In basketball, it's like, oh, okay, so there's an option. You know, that's that's yeah. different. So I would love for all the players to get more and more guaranteed money. I'd love it not to all just be the quarterbacks. Maybe the Deshaun thing changes things. I. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe it doesn't because I still think certain elements that exist in the NFL make it tougher for that player to really, truly taste free market. I, I, I don't think it's interesting. I talked to Rick Spielman right after that Kirk Cousins contract. He was the GM of Minnesota at the time. Uh, he's since been fired. And I said, why'd you do this? And he said, because somebody else would have if we hadn't. And Deshaun Watson is the only comparable situation where Cleveland had to guarantee that money because somebody else would have if they hadn't. And... That so rarely happens because of the franchise tag, because when Aaron Rodgers renegotiated in whatever it was, 2018, he still had essentially like two years left on his contract, plus whatever the franchise tag controls are. Like unless more and more players start negotiating in no tag clauses um, or you get to the Drew Brees zone where you've been tagged so much that you're basically untaggable, um, <laughs> you're going to unless you get into that zone. You're never going to get in a situation where teams are going to be desperate to get you under contract. There's very little desperation in NFL front offices from that perspective because these things are planned out so far in advance. Yeah, I remember the Andrew Luck one going back. I'm looking at it again, too. It was 123, basically, and 87 was guaranteed. And you were like, oh, and I remember being on the air going, like, if he were a free agent tomorrow, he would get 150, 150 guaranteed. But 
It wasn't going to work that way because of the tag. All right. The NFL draft is always, it always feels a little bit different if you watch a lot of college football because you'll just be like, well, wait, that guy's better than all those guys. Yeah. Um, The NBA, I always feel like it has way more to do with age. And history tells us, you know, you start drafting 22 year olds all the time, you're probably going to be more disappointed. (laughs) And that's why you're like, hey, that guy looks completely awkward and raw, but he's 6'10 and he's 18. I'll go ahead and take him. So, you know, if if one were way better than the other all the time, then that's what they would do. But in the NFL, I think we've seen some really, really productive players, but maybe at positions that just still aren't as prioritized. Is that fair? Yeah, listen, I'm going to become the joker if I have one more text argument with somebody in the NFL about Jordan Davis. Because I keep saying, and these are people who are much smarter than me, know way more about football than me, but I want Jordan Davis in my locker room. Like, I want him on my team. He's huge. He eats up space. He's explosive. I saw this thing this morning that said he does, he's not powerful. I don't know what you're looking at like he he, he, Georgia didn't ask him to do anything other than kind of uh, eat up people create space uh, for for the guys behind him not let guys get to the second level Um, but I I think that there's with Davis he can he's really only a two two down guy at this point Uh, maybe he has the, the ceiling for much more when you look at his athleticism but every time I say to someone picking in the first round, a scout, whomever, somebody in the front office, I'll just say, "Aren't you just obsessed with this kid?" They'll go, "Ah, well, I'd like, I'd rather just have a, a you know, a, an edge rusher who's maybe a little worse but can play three downs." And I said, "Isn't the point of football to have special people on the team and go from there?" Like that, that to me is, and I'm seeing the same thing right now with this kid Devin Lloyd from Utah, where he's slipping down. Um, and I just saw him mocked to the Patriots yesterday at the, at, uh, you know, well, after basically after pick 20 now is, is where he's being mocked when he was being at five the other day. Um, I think that we're getting into a situation where all anybody wants to draft in the top 10 is tackles and defensive ends and corners, I guess. And I understand why you would do that. There's a contract value that gets put on some of these guys where um, it's just easier. You know, Belichick, I think, started this where you, you really figured out what positions to take in the first round. It went from there um, and, and teams have caught on. But I'm starting to think, you know, you've seen this with Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. Just take special people in the first round and and figure it out from there. Like I people said, someone said to me the other day, they'd rather have Jermaine Johnson than Jordan Davis. I'm not sure I understand this. Did anybody watch the games? Like I, I, I listen, I, I was in hell watching Jermaine Johnson against Miami. But I'd rather have Jordan Davis because he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen. And I'm worried that the positional value debate in the NFL is just teams kind of eating their own tail. Yeah, I think Kyle Hamilton's another example of that. But I still feel like any big safety that can match up with some of these tight ends and then also run and the anticipation, like anticipation is better than your 40 speed, really. You know, like, yes. you, especially, I mean, especially at that position. So, you know, what I always thought was kind of funny was it's, it's my old first base thing where first basemen are the only ones arguing that first basemen are actually pretty good defensive players in baseball. Right. <laughs> and, you, yeah. and you'd be like, hey, we're not the worst. You'd be like, you know what? You might be a really good defensive player. Your reaction time. You might be a great athlete. Maybe you play basketball in high school. Who knows? Maybe you swim. But of the th- of the four infield positions, somebody's going to be the worst. Okay? Yeah. Yep. Somebody's going to be at the bottom. And it's third base, it's shortstop, it's second base, and just first base is considered a little bit easier than those other ones. Doesn't mean we hate you. Um, and then in the NFL, it would be like, well, you know, people are starting to prioritize guards a little bit more. Well, because before that, <laughs> it was because tackles are really important. 
And then having a, a smart center was important. So that meant, that, yeah. guess what? Like the guards came in third. And so I don't know that there's some kind of shift where it's like, ah, you know, I started to prioritize safeties and guards a little bit more, but it still feels like, yeah, okay, that's, that's cool. You can say it that way, but it doesn't really mean that all of a sudden guards are going to go over tackles and corners are going to be behind safeties. I agree. I also think one funny thing about the additional value debate now is that I, I see this with Tyra Linderbaum for, out of Iowa, who everyone says is amazing. Maybe he's a little bit undersized according to some of the, the scouting reports I've looked at. But then you'll hear these draft picks be like, you know what? You can pencil in Tyra Linderbaum to start for you for 10 years. I've got him mocked. And then they'll go, they'll go uh, I got him mocked at 31. Wait, wait a second. This is the guy who's going to start for you for 10 years and you got him going 31? Like what, what happened there? Like why can't we bump him up a little bit here. I saw someone had him in, at the beginning of the second round the other day. Like I, this is it. It, it is a really strange. The the other tropes that I'm I'm honing in on. I've noticed this over the past like month. This used to be few and far between. Now it's every single, every single podcast. From, and this is not pundit specific. Is that if there's anybody who's basically not a quarterback, and has a little bit more athleticism than they're used to, the pundit goes, "If I'm a GM, I better ask my coach to have a plan on how to use this guy." It's like, what, what were we doing for like 30 years before this? We would just tell the coach five minutes beforehand that we were going to draft this guy. Like what that, that to me is, is like, there's this whole thing now where it's like, you got to have alignment between the GM and the coach on how to, how to have a plan for this guy. And it's like, I just don't, I think it's a very funny place where we're at right now um, between kind of modern front offices, old school scouting departments, and then kind of the new age of athlete. Um, the Patriots, there was a Patriots scouting director the other day who talked about how they're having to adjust to the fact that the colleges are giving them something different. Like they don't have, they have different system fits now because of a guy, you know, a guy like Devin Lloyd is probably not a system fit 10 years ago, but he has to be now for the Patriots. So um, it's an interesting time for a draft because of, of all these things kind of um, coming together. And, and I think that that's why we're going to see more and more, I think, aggressive GMs not caring about that specific type of positional value. I know everybody's been waiting for it. Let's get to it. Continued economic responsibility demands restraint in government expenditure. And last year we achieved the largest ever recorded reduction in the budget deficit, 1.5 billion. Kevin Clark is um, he's kind of the F1 guy now. I mean, you always were. You were the first person to write about it, I think, for The Ringer. Uh, tell us about the new podcast, and let's go abroad here because it's been too long. Yeah, it's called The Ringer F1 Show. Uh, you were, uh, it, it, it was born out of going abroad. We will never lose going abroad. That's why we're doing it right now. Going I feel like we've lost a little bit. But. No, well, we're back. We're doing it right now. We're in the midst of going abroad. Um, and you've been on it. We did a, a Drive to Survive recap. You will be on it, hopefully, going forward. Uh, it's, it's really taken off. I've been, it's one of the great joys in my professional life that this kind of randomly found an audience. I did not anticipate any of this stuff. We had, we wanted to do, I just said, I was like, I'll do a, a, a race 
basically preview every week before every Grand Prix. So that was 22 episodes. And then we, the numbers came in and we're like, well, okay, cool. This is just a second full-time job now, um, which is fine. I really, I really enjoyed it. If there was anything I could draw up, it would be that. Um, and so it's been really fun. Uh, we have Imola this week in Italy. Ferrari has the chance to really run away with it. Um, and I'm, I, I think this is an inflection point in, in the F1 season. And then we have Miami in two weeks. And that, I think, will be a new level of F1 fandom in America. All right, let's uh, recap where we're at then. Three in with uh, Italy coming up this week. So 20 races to go, still some time, Yeah. but man, do the prancing horses look like they have the pace this season. That's Ferrari. Um, <laughs> Leclerc's two wins in to this. I know I want to get to Max. I want to get to Mercedes, maybe even a little McLaren, Haas, plucky, plucky competitiveness, George, I, I'm George Russell from Mercedes. Mm-hmm. But I, the story starts with Ferrari and Leclerc, who a lot of people just thought, was was actually this talented of a driver. So what's so different right now for Ferrari and the rest of the field? The car. So Leclerc pushes back and has pushed back very forcefully on this idea. I believe some some media in Italy dubbed him Leclerc 2.0. Okay. And he said, no, wrong, incorrect. Been the same guy. Now I just have I have the car. And I believe him because that's that's he's always been a really talented driver. He gave it to Max. He and Max in karting days really went after it. And that's why I thought this was going to be an emotional type of title chase because they have such history, because they've gotten, they've had uh, this really great uh, YouTube rabbit hole where you can see Leclerc and Verstappen get into it when they're like 12 years old. And Leclerc just says, it's a racing incident when they get into an accident. Um, but Verstappen, Verstappen, Verstappen is not up for it because the Red Bull car is not up for it. He finished 19th after having to remove himself in Bahrain. He did not finish the race in Australia. He won in between that, but he is 46 points adrift of number one right now. And already this would be a top 10 comeback by points in the history of Formula One. And so this emotional charge title race that we thought we were going to get, we're really not going to get it. And Ferrari, unless they take a deep dive, and you know, I saw Lewis Hamilton said this last week, and I, I agree with him because he's a hell of a lot smarter than me. Championship cars at the top tend to develop at the same rate. And so there's this around now in the season, people say, well, Mercedes could just get a couple upgrades and then they'll they'll be right with Ferrari. Well, Ferrari's going to develop too. Mercedes is better at developing, but not like this. Mercedes' car has been really, really problematic. The porpoising. So if you don't know what porpoising is, basically the cars now are going up and down in the front uh, like a porpoise and hitting the ground, and that's causing a whole host of problems, okay? Uh, one of those problems, according to Red Bull, is that the fuel delivery system keeps getting knocked offline in some way. And that's why most of the Red Bull's reliability problems are happening so often. Um, It's a fuel problem, not an engine problem. And Helmut Marko, who runs Red Bull, basically said that that problem should be fixed. But I don't know, A, if it's fixed, and B, if that's going to be enough. Because Ferrari's had porpoising stuff too, and they seem to be fixing it every single week. So the long and the short of it, if you haven't been watching, is that Ferrari, for the first time in years has a car capable of running away with the title. Mercedes is not up for it. And Red Bull 
seems like they could challenge, but they cannot right now finish a race. That's the long and the short. Right, because Max got the two DNFs, but I mean, he was P2 at both times. And at one point, yeah. I mean, he was three laps from finishing second. He was P2 uh, in Australia. And it, I couldn't believe that he'd stopped the car. I was like, he'd probably just ride that thing into flames. And then it like caught on fire. So <laughs> I was kind of joking around, like watching it, being like, if anybody was going to keep driving the car while it was may explode, it would be Max. So, I mean, Max is going to be incredibly frustrated that, I mean, one is just grab a podium just snatched from him and the fact yeah. all the points of, of just a, a P2. But I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. There's 20 races to go. But everything I was reading in preparation for this, it's just funny how the F1 world, and again, this is me just dipping my toes into this very recently, it feels like Ferrari and Leclerc is like a foregone conclusion. Like, it's just crazy. Like, oh, Mercedes isn't that good. McLaren's whatever. I mean, they're better this year. I think it's clear that Lando's the better driver than Ricardo. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're there yet. Are you were there with me on that one? Oh, no, think, I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. Like, Lando's just been better. And so, like, how is this going to happen? Sergio's been good for Red Bull, but I mean, we're talking about a monumental. I mean, Ferrari's up 39 points. The constructors already on this thing. And we still have like question marks heading into the fourth race. So I, I feel like it just it seems way too early. I guess I'm just so surprised by the reaction to it as if, okay, it's done. Ferrari's just going to win this whole thing and Claire's going to win the championship. Well, like George Russell was told after his podium in Australia that he was in second place and he said he literally did not believe it. Like that, that's where the title race is right now is the number two guy was like, wait, I'm in second. I thought somebody else was in second. And so I don't, I just, I understand what you're saying where you look at, at the, the calendar right now and you see so many open dates and you say, okay, this, this can't possibly be decided, but who's, who's making up that ground, not just in points, but, but in car in driver and reliability. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think Mercedes has it this year at all. No one from the best of the rest certainly has the capability to leapfrog anybody. And, and I mean, the only thing that could happen right now is that a Ferrari gets discovered doing something illegal, which by the way is happening. They have, they have, I mean like this, by the way, Christian Horner, if the, the only path for Red Bull is to find something illegal with Ferrari, Christian Horner is going to be thriving. That's going to be his element. Just looking around the paddock. Who's at the, is that, is that legal? Like that, that is going to be, uh, that's going to be him and his element. If 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 that's the only path for for Red Bull to win a championship is finding something, some illegal part or illegal energy harvesting system with Ferrari, um, but I I just don't see any. The the other option is they have some catastrophic technology failure, which I don't think happens in in modern Formula One in this way at the top. And by the way, uh, there have been three teams that have complained to the FIA about Ferrari and also Haas, which Haas is like. This is amazing. People are accusing us of stuff now. Did you see what Gunther Steiner said the other day? Well, he says a lot of stuff, so you'd have to be more specific. So everybody is complaining about Haas. They're calling yep. them white Ferrari because... Sounds racist. Yeah, I know. Um, but they called them white Ferrari because they had, they're had they a white car and oh. they run a Ferrari. Um but uh, the, uh, the quote from Gunther Steiner was, you have to work hard for envy. You get pity for free. That's good. That's very good. That's probably why he's still around the paddock. Because you know what I mean? I mean? When you watch him on the show, you're like, this guy's still in charge of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, we, need more, 
Go ahead. Ha- ha- Haas, is, Haas is thriving. And one of the things here is like, this is what was supposed to happen. And that, that it was the biggest regulation change in 40 years. And when that happens, it's like in any in anything. When there are huge changes, and we're going to see this in, in NIL and college football. We don't know what the who will come out on top and bottom. I actually think NIL is probably overstated as far as how much it's going to change the sport and the power balance of the sport as far as the teams go. But you just never know when there's a mid-pack team who's going to thrive under the new rules in any sport. And I think Haas and Ferrari both did a good job of prioritizing this year in a smart way. Ferrari took a step back ever since basically they they came to the secret secret agreement with the FIA after they were caught cheating a few years ago. And they said, we're going to focus all of this in 2022. There were rumors last summer, Ryan, that Ferrari had figured something out. And they had. And I think that there are, it wasn't full-on Sashi Brown-style tanking, but they knew that 2022 was was going to be their year. And I think that teams like Red Bull, who prioritized last year, or even Mercedes, who I think they said they were prioritizing 2022, but they clearly weren't doing a good enough job of it. Um, I don't think that they had had the right plan for for these these new rules. What are the major differences with these cars? So there's downforce now, ground effect. It's ground effect, um, which creates more suction under the car, grip on the track to pull it under, basically pull it down towards the track. Um, that's the big thing. The wheels have changed. So it's 18-inch tires now. Um, that has changed a lot of things. And then there's a new rear wing on the car. Okay. So those are the three aerodynamic changes. And if you know anything about F1, like a small little change can create so much difference. And, you know, the thing I always go back to in Adrian Newey's book, he says that at the beginning of every season, they get the, the Formula One regulations. And Everybody looks at what the rules say and the smartest people, including him, look at what they don't say. And so when you start to look at, okay, we have ground effect, the floors of the car are going to be different. Um, the the ground effect is ground effect is going to be new. Um, you're going to get a ton of different interpretations. So a good example of that is there are now side pods on the car. So there's uh, different side pods on the car, which means basically how what the outside of the car looks like. And Mercedes decided to just not have them, basically. And that's, I don't really know whether or not that's a cause of their problems. I don't think it is. I think it's a power problem for them. Um, But you're seeing extremely different interpretations of all these different rules throughout the paddock. And that's why there's so many different outcomes relative to last year. Let's go back to Mercedes. Uh, As you mentioned, the standings here with Leclerc being first, George Russell second. And we know his story coming over from Williams, and that was the guy they were going to replace Valtteri with. And he's been terrific so far. And I was reading stuff about like, hey, look, he's he's had a bad car for a while, and now yeah. he's in a Mercedes, even if diminished Mercedes compared to the top of the field. I don't know if I'm reading into this too much or just the drama of the Hamilton role, but this is, I mean, this is Hamilton's team. Everything has been about Hamilton forever. And I felt like in Australia, granted, Hamilton complains you know, he has his his pithy commentary to the pit. When something doesn't go right, he blames the pit all the time. I mean, Max complains about fucking everything, too. So it's not like this is unique to Hamilton. A lot of the top guys are just it's probably a little stressful driving these cars around and hoping to survive it as well. I don't know if you picked up on this. I could be totally wrong, but I almost get the sense of like Russell coming out ahead of of Lewis in Australia. And then Lewis was like checking back in with the 
with his crew and they were like no lewis like this is this is what you're gonna do and then he's like oh you guys really fucked me on this later yeah. on it felt a bit like so wait a minute wait a minute is this all about me still or are we like perhaps i mean it's just sort of the way it played and that's yeah. how the, the crew explained it to him like look these are the breaks this is how it played out but it, i i maybe again like i said yeah it just felt a little bit like wait are we is our priority perhaps shifted a tad here with me because i'm lewis hamilton and that's not gonna be cool okay two things number one is that he said afterwards so he said that that comment that you've put me in a bad position comment was about the engine overheating. I don't know if I believe that necessarily, but that was his. I, it's not like, how it well, sounded. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's not how it sounded at all. That's why I'm even bringing this up, but I'm not trying to accuse him of anything. It just was, we, it's not what we're okay. used to after years with Val. Val I, 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 I agree. But let me, let me put you in Lewis Hamilton's shoes here for a second. He just got, what, five months ago? got finished with the most emotional emotional F1 title race in years. years in my okay? history with F1. Yeah, certainly. in your history. So, I mean, I you know, put Nico Rosberg, uh, you know, 2016. I put that in the mix there. Um, before that, obviously, you've had some some last day, uh, last race sort of F1 up for grabs title chases. But when you consider how the, with one lap to go, it looked like he had it in the bag. When you consider the comeback he had over the course of last summer, when you consider the rivalry between he and Max and Red Bull and Mercedes, and Toto Wolf showing up in a roll neck sweater and saying everybody has a target on their back, the expectations for him were so high that I think that he's looking at everything collapsing around him and saying, really? Like this is happening this quickly? We're going to have no chance? We're going to have no chance to do this? I mean, like, imagine if, you know, like, Georgia caught up with Alabama last year, right? Finally, finally got to the mountaintop. Nick Saban's probably pissed off about it. Bryce Young is probably pissed off about it. If Alabama starts 0-3 next year after putting Georgia as their target, that's going to be an emotionally draining experience. And that's how I kind of view Lewis Hamilton right now is I think that he was ready. Remember, there were retirement rumors for, for Lewis in December. They, oh, does he want to come back because he felt so screwed by the FIA? The rivalry was so heated. Maybe he doesn't even want this in his life anymore. And then he comes back to prove that he's the best driver in the world, the best driver of all time, takes Shumi's records. And what happens? He just doesn't have the car for it. I'd be pissed off too. I'd, I'd get to a Mazapan comment here, but... <laughs> they seized his villa. I don't want to get His political. villa's up for grabs now. Uh, that guy sucks. He just, he sucked in the show. And every quote I read from him, he continues to suck. So the, the Drive to Survive did a really bad job of trying to make him uh, look relatable. Yeah, but I think he did it to himself. Like, there's oh, certainly yeah, editing, awful. but like when when Schumacher, when they edited it that way, and who knows, maybe it was just TV and Mazapan, like the only reason you're on the team, dude, is because you're dad. All right. And Schumacher yep. is him, and Schumacher could be the dick. And he seems he comes off. Maybe it's editing, but he comes off as the greatest guy ever. Totally gets it. Doesn't carry the last name around like a badge. Access to everything. And then they're like, "Hey, we need to take these photos." And Mazepin's like, "Well, he can come to me." Like, <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Last one. Um, Checo in promotion for the Miami Grand Prix drove 
over the Dolphins logo in the stadium. Yeah. How mad yeah. are Celtics fans? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I don't. I don't think Dolphins fans are uh, are going to get that upset. Okay. Dolphins right. fans are different culture. Different culture. Different Why aren't culture. you coming to Miami, Ryan? Basketball. Mm. Wait, are you doing on site stuff? I don't, I don't know if I'm doing on site. I don't really know what the layout is. I'd like yeah. to do something. Like I'd like to. I I don't know what I'm. I'm not going to do like a live pod. I'd like at some point. I'm just going to be like. Like the the easiest thing to do is just like a day out. Just be like, hey, I'm going to be in the parking lot. All right, here we go. We'll like send out the PM. we'll send out the bat signal. If anyone that's real is connected to the F1 deal in Miami, reach out to us with a life advice email. Which means now we're going to get fake ones, but whatever. Um, we'll see what we can do. You never know. Every now and then, somebody will like hit me up with something. I'm like, wow, this seems real. Oh no, interesting. I, I've, I've yeah. got some. I've got some possibilities for you. Okay. All right, I don't think I can do it. I don't. I don't see how there's any. When no, is it? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be there, credentialed and and doing stuff for the ringer. I'd like to be able to to connect with with listeners of of your show and the F1 pod and the NFL show and all that stuff. Um, I just don't know logistically how that's gonna look. I'm not gonna wear, like, rent out an alehouse. Oh, will you wear a funny outfit day of the race? Uh, sure. What what did you have in mind? Like a seersucker and a top hat. Yeah. <laughs> And then guys just will be like, it's, just try to <laughs> import Kentucky Derby culture in. Yeah, just some, but like, maybe not that then. Yeah, it's a little too Derby ish. What if you went like parachute pants and a breakdancing jacket and a visor? It's going to be pretty hot, dude. It's yeah, May, but I just, Miami. I want you to have a really, really specific look it's just so people go, wow, this guy's really yeah. into F1. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, right. that's how we'll know parachute pants. <laughs> But if it was all, what if it was all like fire retardant, like clothing or something? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm kind of, I'm just trying to think. We're workshopping this. We're just talking out loud. All right. And then you wear a bike helmet. <laughs> and you chew gum or maybe, a, maybe like a Burt Reynolds vibe toothpick. And then people are like, oh. hey, are you, are you Kevin? You'd be like, yeah, it's race day. And that's all you <laughs> tell people. And you'd be like, you're really into this. And you just go like, what? Like, yeah, I'm into it. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you're just disgusted with anyone suggesting, like, whoa, like, so you're, you really like F1. Just go, what? I have a family member who's a really big Notre Dame fan. And I used to go to Notre Dame games with him. He went to Notre Dame. And uh, if people would ask, like, non Notre Dame questions, he would get really annoyed. He would just be like, I don't know, I'm just trying to focus on the game here. And, like, people would offer him a beer, like, tailgates. He'd be like, ah, you know, I don't want to. I got to get my head clear. Wow, that guy, that guy. He sounds awesome. You should bring him to the race. No, he's actually like. He can't have a beer before the kickoff at a tailgate because he is focused in the game that he's not Dude, playing. Dude, he's locked in. He's locked in. Well, could he have a soda? Was it an alcohol thing? Because that's fine. Yeah, it was an alcohol thing. He wanted to lock in. Oh, so he just didn't want to be hammered during the game. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. First, yeah, fish, yeah, yeah, yeah. first fish show I went to. I just wanted to see the notes, man. Just just lock in. They were like, just are you going to get high? I was like, hi, I'm already high. Just I'm high on attendance vibes. Okay. Uh, good stuff. Kevin Clark, F1 Ringer Show. Uh, what days it come out? Uh, every Wednesday. And then on Sundays, we will have uh, recaps, quick recap. And we're going to do it on Spotify Live. And we take listener calls. And it's really cool. Sounds good. All right. Rev your engines. 
This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to spice up life advice here, branding-wise. We're not making t-shirts or anything, don't worry. But, uh, Saruti, you can help me out with this. We got John Taffer Bar Rescue who I know has been on with the part of my take guys, we're always a little resistant because my years in the service industry, you know, I, I have issues with the stress test component of the show. So we're going to talk about this stuff. But what we want to do is life advice that's bar related with a guy that's really doing it. Maybe you have a bar that's struggling. Maybe, maybe you have a bar that's awesome and you don't want his help. Maybe you want to ask him about the pirate episode. Who knows? But if you have a bar specific bar rescue, uh, Life advice question, just put that in the title of the email, lifeadvicerr.gmail.com, so that way Kyle can sift through those. Um, we're also going to have Nikki Glazer on, comedian, female, and that's going to kill two birds with one stone because she's pretty vicious, but maybe we'll do some life advice relationship emails with her and also some stand-up comedy stuff. We should picture some jokes. I should bring that back. I was I was telling Kyle, I wonder if this will go as well as the uh, Nate Bargatze one. I don't think I could do that with my camera on, which I'm glad that we don't. Usually we kind of bow out for that. I don't think I could have my camera on watching you pitch jokes to an, like an established comedian. I think that was, I don't know what my face looked like during the Bargatze thing, but I guarantee you I wouldn't want it <laughs> on camera. That was like, yeah, it looked like I was in pain, yeah. <laughs> now by the way, now I'm definitely doing it. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. This this would be like, what if that'd be like John Taffer pitching pitching you like sports segment ideas? Like, would you be open to that? Um, I, there, I don't think there's any way I would want to do Taffer sports segments. Yeah, so I'd like be the, Nikki's probably like, right. hey, I, right. let me leave the comedy to me, dude. I got work to go. <laughs> so now you're yeah. definitely gonna do it. So that's great. Yeah, I I think it's so bad that I now I want to do it. I mean. Bargazzi's face, that sucked. It was the worst time. It's one of the worst times I've ever had. And you I'm can tell he's a real face. nice guy, too. I don't know. I think he's, I think Nate's a nice guy, but I think he's a little bit like, and I don't think he's afraid to tell you to fuck off a little bit. I, I don't think there's, I think there's nicer guys. There's definitely nicer guys. Yeah. But I think he yeah, tries his, to be a nice guy, is what I mean. Like, he really, I think he really tries to be a nice guy. Yeah. I'm not saying he's a dick, but I could just tell, like, his face, he was going, uh, like it was, it was We're the epitome. This. Yeah, if his face could have said something, it was, I don't want to do this. And you're <laughs> he was not just disappointed, at, you know. He's yeah. like, I didn't think Ryan would go there. You know, I didn't think he was one of those guys. And then you were one of those guys. 
yeah, well, that's kind of what we're doing. We're doing it for the audience. So, not doing so it for this the should guests. be great. Look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. She's going to be brutal. She's going to be meaner than he is. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Better start working on my material. Yep. Did you ever notice? Did you ever notice that when? <laughs> so I was talking to my therapist the other day. Jesus, <laughs> I may make him awful. <laughs> That's just a deflection te- technique, I think, for you. Like, no, they're supposed to be bad. I tell him, tell him oh. they're supposed to be. Bad. Meanwhile, he's yeah, going to yeah. sneak the one good one in there and be like, hope, yeah, hope yeah. that she yeah, knows. Yeah. Like, wait, hold on, number two is good, man. Where it's do you think a good strategy? I set the bar real low and then have like a decent one in there and see if she that pickup hoops one was great. What do you think? Um, what do you think will happen though? If she likes one. Do you think like I'm going to go? Oh wow, that was awesome. What's the she best case this. scenario? Like she uses it in her next like stand-up special? That's not really the, what the goal is here. I think it's to get like three of my roommates from college to just be cringing while they're listening to it. Because they all hit me up after the Nate thing. And they were like, we actually think you're funny. But that was awful, man. And I went, okay, good. Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> all right. Noted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will be better. Your roommates from college and Kyle will be, will be cringing. All right. Here we go. This one's sort of a quick one. I don't know. Uh, hey, guys, checking in central Nebraska. Uh, he gave us his name. We'll leave it out. 62505 Max Squat. Mm. Sick depth. Teaches. He's a teacher. Sounds like this guy's a pretty beefy, stout teacher. All right. Um, I come up with a very odd question, so I'll try to lay it out as best as I can. In the summers, I obviously don't have school, uh, so I work for the city at the local cemetery. I know how weird it sounds, but it's actually a pretty dope uh, gig. So, uh, some of this stuff isn't adding up. Why would he say it's a pretty dope college gig when he's a teacher? Right, whatever. Basically, we just mow. Is he a teacher weed. teacher? Or is he like a, is he a, like a gym or is he like a gym no. instructor? No, he's a teacher. He's a teacher. Okay. So well, maybe he's saying it's a good gig for college guys, but then it's a good teacher <laughs> gig. I whatever. Yeah, no, buddies that work. It's seasonal. What can you say? Teachers and college kids, seasonal work. Back up. Wait a minute. You had multiple friends work at yeah. cemeteries? Yeah, a couple of them. They actually, I think they were just like digging graves. You know, not like by hand. They would have like, you know, the, what is it? The dump truck thing. The Kubota and they would just like scoop it out. Yeah, yeah and just kind of scoop it up. And they work a lot of nights. It was, yeah, I don't know. Kind of weird. But they enjoyed it. I like working outside. There's something to be said for it. Digging you know, graves. Like a good summer thing. You know, I, mean, I wouldn't have picked digging graves if there was like a multiple choice. You know, I'd probably pick other. <laughs> probably I'd probably pick other before if like C was digging graves. <laughs> like I definitely, definitely wouldn't pick that. But you know, I'm sure there's things you find that you like about it. All right. I mean, would you, you, could, you could dig foundations. That doesn't, it's not like they're part of the, the funeral processions. They're just digging graves and they're out. They're not, they're, there's no like emotional attachment to it. That's a good point. Hold on. You know, maybe if it was option C, I would take it. I don't know. It's not I'd have to world. see what A yeah. and B was. I feel like I'm not even on the podcast right now. <laughs> uh, all right. So I've always been a big fan of yours. Listen to every pod. And now I'd like to state that I listen um, to my headphones eight hours a day every day. All right. I get to a point where I was so locked into your pod that I would watch games and take little notes just to try to see if I could argue any of your points you'd be making in the next pod. It sounds super fucking weird, but it was actually sick. Uh, anyway, I'm not working this summer due to my massive gambling profits during March Madness. I still love the pod, but I'll admit I'm not as locked in as I once was. Now comes my problem. I can no longer watch basketball without trying to pick out every little detail that I think Rosilla will point out. I can't fucking enjoy the games anymore because I'm constantly worrying about the shit I don't care about. 
Thoughts on how I can fix this. Thanks. Welcome to watching games for a living, except you're not getting paid for it. So yeah. that's unless your gambling well, profits are all based on your knowledge. So then just keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Uh, don't do that. Just try to find a way to stop. I don't I'm not telling you to stop listening to the podcast, but trust me, that, that's why I've enjoyed other sports sometimes, because I know I don't have to have takes on any of it. Like I watch all the games last night and the whole time I'm just crafting out like what would be interesting here? What could I do there? And I don't even think I necessarily even had that. It wasn't the most interesting open I've ever done, certainly today. But uh, the only thing I can compare it to on a newer level is that once I started trying to write, now when I watch TV shows, it's completely different. It's completely different. And I kind of just miss watching a show, but now I can't because I'm such an artist. So, you know, it's challenging. Uh, this did definitely come up with a better hobby than this because we're never going to talk. This is it. This is the end of our communication. You and I are never going to talk. So now you're, you're like, there's not even really an art. What's the benefit? What's the benefit of you going, oh, I found something he's wrong about because I took down this note or, hey, I guessed right on this thing that he was going to do. I just think there's better ways to spend time. There's no way you could channel this into something good, though. I'm trying to think like, you know, I guess he could start his own pod. It's pretty tough these days. <laughs> yeah, uh, go for starting. it. dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could try it out. At least, at least use it somewhere. Um but I don't know. Like if he's if he's killing a gambling, I assume it's working in some way. So I could say keep if, if, if you're making gambling money off your hobby, way, do it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he's got the summer off. You can spend him. all your time gambling and then making a podcast that no one listens to. It's gonna go great. I got, I don't have any thoughts. I just am upset this wasn't a grave digging related question. So I'm done. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, I don't I don't really have a lot there. I you know I I get what he's talking about though. Like I don't watch games with the same anticipation and escape from everything else. I mean, that hasn't been going, that hasn't happened for 20 years. I mean, and, and again, I have a good deal and I'm not, I'm not complaining about it, but that, that window of, oh, my team is playing. The Red Sox are playing the Blue Jays. I can't wait. And this is all I'm doing. And then I get to just watch it and enjoy the ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, that's just not what it has. So then, to, then you don't do this for a job and you're, you're doing it to predict. I don't know. Maybe I, you probably start a Twitter feed future Rosillo takes and as the game then you live tweet it nobody's gonna follow that though that Rosillo memes guys you know i think they've tapped out at a couple grand no there he's almost at 10 grand i think isn't he he's doing all right i probably should just say 10k i don't know why i said grand and then yeah i don't know either i followed you yeah Yeah. it's kind of weird very weird you're right though i think that's why i've gravitated towards watching more soccer because i don't although now i guess i do keep takes on it but uh, it was just like, yeah, I could just watch this and enjoy it. Whereas, like the NFL back in the day, you're like, oh, I'm every Sunday you're watching the NFL, going, all right, like, what's the show going to be on Monday? Like, all right, what do, who we want to do for guests? What are the main topics? And you're just like, I'm not even really enjoying this anymore. So I would definitely not recommend that if that's <laughs> if that's your life. But if you're not actually getting paid by that, so I don't know. But maybe do you detox, dude? Yeah, detox in the regular season, maybe. I don't know. So you're telling people to not listen to the podcast? Maybe that no, guy no. should take a month off. No, no, I no, mean from yeah. the from his we'll survive thing. From his sports thing. I say you keep, I think he should, we could survive losing a guy for a couple of months. That might be what he needs to do. Reset, recharge. Jump Just right to life, life advice. advice. Yeah, jump to yeah. life advice. Exactly. Uh, this isn't even a life advice. This is more of a ruling, but it's a good one. Plain puker. Hey guys, 62205, no real gym stats. Uh, Jokic, uh, Jokic-esque postgame at men's league. So bad in the playoffs. Yeah, a lot of guys say that. Yeah. Like no. everyone thinks they're Jokic because they don't have a vert. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm one of those guys. Don't worry about it. I mean, 
Yeah, but you're not calling yourself yeah. Jokic Eskar. That is true. That <laughs> now, the Jokic <laughs> thing is so really, you're like him. You're MVP passing big of all time, <laughs> just zinging it into the corners blindly. Triple double machine yeah. at the Y. Nice. I'm a, I'm a lot like a KG, just a little less offense. <laughs> yeah. Recently, my wife and I enjoyed a week in Sedona for vacation. Uh, our return flight was Phoenix to Boston, five hours. Packed major airline. I was in the aisle seat, wife in the middle, stranger. Window seat. Immediately after takeoff, our window seat companion started vomiting into his bag, barf bag. He proceeded to fill the first bag, then a second one prior to asking my wife for the barf bag located in her seat back pocket. He then proceeded to fill uh, a third bag. Can't blame the guy for getting sick. It happens to the best of us. This guy was flying to Boston and he has this kind of attitude. They must they must have relocated from, <laughs> from Glen Ellen or something. Just um, visiting. Yeah. yeah. What has stuck with us though is he never got up for the remaining four hours of the flight he did not wash up he did not throw away the three bags of puke come on he had two airline cup servings of water and slept it off the rest of the flight what's the etiquette here hand the barf bags to the flight attendants get up to wash up and dispose of the evidence in the bathroom or did he know that the only remedy was to sleep this off and pretend this never happened on our end should we have pressed the issue we gave one courtesy. Is everything all right? Do you need anything? To which you replied with a faint shaking of the head. <laughs> <laughs> flight mask requirements help, but the stench was still a problem for a good oh. chunk of the flight. No. We felt that he was in rough enough shape. We felt that he was in rough enough shape and didn't want to stress his system anymore by making a bigger deal of this. But well, uh, we did. He knows sit- his body. Yeah, but we did sit with these bodily fluids in our row. Oh, yeah, that's a question. But did we sit with these bodily fluids in our row unnecessarily? Would love your input. Shout out to Sarudi and Kyle. Oh, he lived in the same doors, dorm as Sarudi's wife. Freshman year of college. Dun, dun, dun. Huskies, all right. Is that information out there, dude? What, that she went to UConn? The, the dorm she was in? I don't know. Well, I mean, she would... I guess he knows her last name is Saruti now. Maybe they're Facebook friends. I don't yeah, know. Well, let's is, just go with that. There are some yeah, questions. I'm sure, there's here. nothing. What's weird this about guy? This. Money's more information story. after this. After we wrap <laughs> this up. I'm sure, there's nothing weird about it. Just, <laughs> just wondering how he knew that. But whatever. Hey, slip me the email address real quick. <laughs> what a talk. <laughs> I'm man. not one of those dudes. I, pro- I don't. I, we're good. Yeah, I don't know. What is this? Is the puke story even real? Like, oh, by the way, <laughs> this is just this is just like a long attempt to tell me that you yeah. know my wife. All right, cool. <laughs> Not even. He just knows that you guys are in the same dorm. I don't mean. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, you want to start on this one? Um, yeah. I, I was on a ferry yesterday and um, motherfuckers was just puking and I was having a real rough time. Uh, we almost missed the boat. And so there was no what ferry. Uh, the Cat- Catalina ferry. You what, you did a Catalina day trip yesterday? Yeah, I saw your boy Linard over there, too. Um, nice. But anyway. Uh, we missed the boat. There was like no seats. So one nice lady was like, here, there was like a, actually a pretty big table seat. There's a group of four of us and they moved over. So we're, we're like, oh my God, we finally got a seat inside. Everything's good. And it's right by the bathroom. We didn't even realize because the bathrooms were kind of tucked away. So there's just lines of people. It's like a 75 minute ferry trip. There's just lines of people waiting to go to the bathroom and they didn't even start going to the bathroom until they were like going to puke. So there's just people puking like on the floor in front of our seats and like i mean that's that's unacceptable <laughs> F- frankly unacceptable i say go to the side of the boat but i was gonna say yeah I, it's like what i say you have a free should you address ocean. it should you address it 
Yes, me and my buddy Jim were like, go outside. My, my girlfriend and, and his sister were there and they were like, don't make them feel bad. I was like, no, we're all in here. That's like, yeah, somebody's going to clean it up, but you still puked. It's going to be a fucking massacre. It's going to be a bloodbath in here if there's more people like me who smell and see and hear. And that's like a good enough trigger, especially on an airplane. I would have told the guy, maybe you want to go at least get that stuff out of here. I don't really think that's a problem. I know you don't have to be embarrassed. You know, you don't like you don't have to be embarrassed. If somebody's like, hey, you want to go get that out of here? Like, what if you just have a, a, a baby that shit its diaper? Like, you think you think that's fine, too, to just leave that the whole time? I don't think so. I don't know. I think smells and stuff like that, especially if it can affect you in a certain way. I, I don't think it's a problem. I think there's a way to address that without being like mean and be like pointing and and like laughing and be like, hey, look at this asshole. Like, I think if there's a way there's a difference in there. And I think you were totally within your rights to say something. Yeah, these are easily like talk about an easygoing couple uh, to, to just be like, hey, we asked, but we'd like, are we in the wrong here? I mean, look, Let's get to the core. This guy was had a rough night out. Correct. Like, probably. was probably dying. Probably a young dude. Overdid it. Got on the plane. And then was like, I don't care about anything until I just want to be back in my bed back home. Um, you know, maybe Scottsdale just got the better of him. Happens. I would still think after an hour of smelling vomit that you're within your right to either tap the guy and go, hey, we're going to have to, like, I at some point I would go, hey, man. I know you're dying. Get it. Not a big deal. We're going to have to update the system, though. We're going to have to we're going to have to get the puke out of here. You're going to have to clean yourself up like I'm not I'm not fucking dealing with this for five hours, man. And I think you could have as he's passed out and he doesn't care if he's young and he's hungover. That guy doesn't care about anybody. Correct. Which is very clear. He also you might have been able to say to one of the attendants. I know this sucks, but can we do a gloves into a garbage bag situation here where at least we throw this part of it away? And if he doesn't want to do that, like if he's that guy, you have to have more, uh, I don't know, self-awareness. You got to be a little bit more courteous. But again, if we're talking early 20s, super hungover kid flying cross country, he doesn't care about anybody. And it's up to you to go. I'm not being a dick. I'm not saying I have no sympathy for you, but at the same time, like you can't just you can't have these bags of stink. <laughs> Come on. I'm like getting nauseous right. hearing you say it. That's it. I'm done. I right. just, I'm not good with that. And I think you can't assume people are. So you have to just, you got to go home. You got to take your ball and go home at that point, which in this case would be uh, getting rid of the evidence and, and washing up and apologizing. I don't even think you have to be curious about it, Ryan. I think you could just be like, hey, man, like we got to figure this out. This isn't going to work totally, out. Totally. Yes. Like, hey, you don't have to be a dick, that. but you got to go, hey, yeah. man. What are I you didn't do even go back to sleep immediately, but like you got to get the flight attendant because th they have bags. They have like, you know, what are the biohazard? Not a biohazard. I don't even know what it would be called, but like they have shit to take care of that. Throw it in, put it in the back and then everyone's fine and you can pass out and everyone can go on their way. The idea that that stood next to them for five hours is actually it's insane. It's, it's insane. It's insane. Now, we got a good segue here, though, too, because the next one is about a they call it mancation. We can get a branding of that a little bit later, but. You know, the college buddies, we try to pick a trip. Eventually, I couldn't go to most of them because I didn't have any money. But there was, I made two of the early ones. And uh, one of my buddies from Boston, we were flying from New Orleans back to Boston. Everybody got after it. Obviously, I think we were like 22. And our seats were missed, mixed up. I think I did told this story one other time before. Audience girls, keep it moving. And he was dying. He was dying. He was dying at the airport. He was, we get in seats. He looks at me. He's like, dude, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. I feel terrible. So I was like, all right, whatever. And 
he turned to the lady next to him and he goes, is there any way my friend can sit here and then you take his seat? And it seriously, I think it was like a window for an aisle situation or something like that. Or maybe she was going to get an aisle and he was going to go, whatever. The point was she wasn't going to lose out. And she was just like, no, I'm not changing seats. And it wasn't a bad trade for her. Let me just emphasize that again. Because I was willing to trade so that he didn't have to sit next to somebody that was going to throw up the whole time that wasn't his college roommate. And it's just one of the funniest things ever because he gets super dramatic about things at times. And he just, he had his bag and he was getting ready to throw up. And she's like, no. And she was being pretty uptight about the whole thing. And he just turned to her. He's like, you're about to have the worst flight <laughs> of your life. Yes. Because <laughs> he got mad. He like snapped. And he's like over his bag in his face. He's like, you're about to have the worst flight of your entire life whatever something like that and then he just puking patty o'brien's pink hurricane Ugh, red hurricane yeah. mix bag yeah. after bag of died the whole flight and i'm just cracking up next to him i'm laughing so hard so all right mancation 39 61 260 college buddies and i take a yearly long weekend trip called mancation i love it one person is tasked with planning the trip, purchasing plane tickets, lodging, and normally an event. So when you show up to the airport, you have no idea where you are going. Oh, come on. We do provide a rough packing list depending on weather, but normally in the summer, it's 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 a summer deal, so it's not a big deal. First of all, I cannot fathom guys at 39 years old still signing off on something. That's a great sign of your group for friendship. It's not a criticism. It is envy, but that is... I can't believe guys with wives and families, if you had said... 23 yes 29 mm, 39 i can't believe this i can't believe it 39 they pay one person pays for the entire trip every no. time that's what he's saying so, and charge no, for one flights. person tasked with planning the trip okay i thought yeah. like one well he right. said purchasing plane tickets but i think basically the he's fronting the money gets, for everybody else well yeah right he goes this is a low-key group we keep the budget low clearly you guys are very low-key only meaning that everybody signed off this. I, I, there's no fucking way I would ever show up to an airport now with my buddies being like, you have no idea where we're going, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea the accommodations. We're gonna, it's going to be on a budget, Rosillo. You're going to love it. Although now, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'll go now. Let's do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't do anything. Cat skills. Let's do I it. Act, yeah. I, can I, do you guys have room for an extra? <laughs> Look, one of my friends, well, I'll save this because I, I know where this is going. All right. So uh, the only issue is we really haven't kept up with inflation <laughs> and the cost is $825 per man. So they're keeping it $825 for flights, lodging, events, and they're trying to keep it at $825. So that Man. plays into this. This plays into it perfectly, trying to figure out what are your options for $825 per dude. We're all flying out of the Southeast. Most can fly out of Atlanta. Normally, that will help with cost. It is less about going to Vegas, New York, and more about how you can make the budget work. All right. I'm, I, now <laughs> I don't. Awesome. Now this I don't. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I need a movie I like about the, this. I like that you guys do it. I would never want to do this. Um, kind of working backwards. So I guess it's what they're saying. It's getting more challenging every year to figure it out. So this year is mine, and I've settled on Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, Whoa. No. Was there last night? Mostly because we can afford it. So as soon as he said Atlanta and direct flights and cost, he was like, where can we go from Atlanta? Hartford. 
Uh, there are direct flights from all the cities. Uh, and there's a fish show on that Sunday night. All right. Okay. All right. So that makes a little bit more sense. I, I could put a dent just- in the budget, though, dude. Uh, there's no talking me out of it. The ship has sailed. We have a decent hotel downtown, flights, decent times, and tickets to the show. What we need is advice on bars and restaurants, other things to do. We normally eat a steak dinner one night and always try to find the best wing spot in town. The rest of the trip is essentially catching up over beers. Oh, man. I hate to break it to you, man, but it's not the spot to be. Don't do this, guys. Be positive. Don't do this. No, there's cool. Like uh, the people that come to Connecticut, you know, that are, you know, if they work for ESPN or whatever, there's plenty of people that come from out of state and they're like, oh, this state sucks. Like, I don't know. There's stuff to do here. There's good food, whatever. Hartford, though, if like you, you have to, you have to kind of get outside Hartford. Like, I, I would suggest you go to New Haven. Mm, so far, though. What's uh, like a half an hour? It's 40 minutes. What's the nice steakhouse down by the Capitol in Hartford? I used to go there all the time. Capitol Grill? Yeah, Capitol Grill. You can go to yeah, Capitol it's Grill. It's really good. It's not, yeah, it's it's not bad. No, Capitol Grill is terrific. Uh, I used to eat there. I would go to West Hartford, though. If you want to do dinners and you want to do some sit-down beers, just go to West Hartford Center. Um, you know, it sounds like you guys are pretty laid back. And, you know, pick any any of the restaurants there, whether it's Treva, Brico. You go to Barcelona. Yeah, you go spot. to Barcelona. You know, There's a Greek place that's there. Bar Taco is always fun. Bar Taco is fun. So there you go. I would hit up West Hartford Center if you're kind of hanging out during the day, anticipation of the show. Um, but I'm just saying like the bopping around of, of nightlife in Hartford, it's going to be disappointing for just like, you're, you guys, if it were a different musical taste, perhaps I'd say you like Hartford a little bit more, uh, fish guys, Hartford (laughs) don't. I don't see it. Although they might have the minor league baseball going. Yeah, the daytime. They get there. Yeah, daytime. Yard goats game. You can go to a Hartford athletic game. Went there last night. Shout out to the soccer team. Right. Second division. Other uh, stuff to do. It's just you know, I mean, the slogan is Hartford has it. I'm just telling you right now to the emailer. I don't know what the other trips were, but as I mentioned, my group where everybody who won, like if you won the golf tournament, you were in charge of then picking the next destination. So I won it one year with another guy. He was the golfer it wasn't because of me and we were like okay well, we haven't done vegas yet we'll do vegas and then the guy who won that year picked biloxi mississippi and we've made fun of him for 20 years <laughs> yeah i thought they were gonna say like branson missouri or someplace like that like hartford is even more random than that there's just it's just not a scene for tourism sorry mark twain house yeah you could do that i've seen the sign for it a million times and never been myself um what about Bushnell Park? That's safe, right? Yeah, it's a park. You know, you've seen one park, you've seen every park. That's kind of my hot take. <laughs> They're not, it's not that oh, amazing. Oh, all parks are the same? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Boston. Yosemite might be a little bit yeah. different. one park, you've seen them all. Yellowstone. <laughs> not a park, guys. <laughs> no, they're just like, I don't know, it's a park. There's some flowers and trees. You know, you can sit down and have a picnic. It's fun. Hour 45 from Poughkeepsie, New York. If you guys, uh, if you guys do everything in the first night, you know. Head on down to the riverfront. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Hour forty-five. First night. <laughs> Shoot on down. Uh, question for uh, you. Um. Did you have a good time with Bill and Catalina? Oh, you think I went with Bill? No. I was just <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Kyle and Steve. 
Again, specific life advice stuff coming up uh, on the show. And Bill and I will be on Sundays for recapping everything that's gone on uh, up to that point through the weekends. Please subscribe to Rhyme Soul Podcast, Ringer, and Spotify. Mm-hmm.